Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning. Wonderful to be here today. Very thankful for the opportunity to, to stand before you and share with you a portion of God's Word, but even more so just excited to get to be here and to be with you. I've been on the road a lot this year and have missed a lot of being with this congregation. And so I'm always excited when I get to be home and be with the, uh, the saints here and enjoy the singing. Um, Please know how beautiful the singing is. It is just wonderful here, and it's uh, such an encouragement to hear each of you uh, sing out and strengthen uh, one another. I know that I'm, I'm greatly blessed by it, and I thank you for your participation in that. As was said, uh, we did have that marriage uh, weekend this uh, past weekend, and we have tried to put together some lessons in front of and behind that that would kind of tie to that loosely but not directly, uh, but would also be applicable to every member regardless of where you're at in life, whether you were able to make that this past weekend or not, the things that we've been studying have an application to that but aren't necessarily tied directly to that. We're talking about growth and adding to the body, and Mark began us off with this idea that that growth requires work, it requires change, it requires effort, it requires to be a little bit uncomfortable uh, to get out of that. And I want to kind of add on to that and look at something that we read here out of Zechariah that God rebuked the nation of Israel, therefore despising some small things. And I want to tie the idea of our growth to the details and taking care of those details, whether we're talking about our marriages, whether we're talking about our own personal life, that growth happens in taking care of the details. Let's back up a little bit and understand what has happened to to get us to Zechariah, the fourth chapter. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 11, you find this statement here. Well, the Bible says, This whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. God had made a, a prophecy here, a promise, if you will, to the nation of Israel that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. At the end of that 70 years, they're going to be allowed to return home, but this captivity, this taking and capturing by Babylon was a major event in the life of these individuals. Because they didn't just come and and bomb a few places. They destroyed everything. They raised it. They took that temple and just flattened it completely. Not one stone on top of another. I think we have a, here in the the central, uh, what they call it, tornado alley, we might could get a little bit of an idea of what that looks like when we've seen the, the devastation of an F5 tornado that it comes through and it just leaves a concrete slab and there's nothing left. And sometimes we see people, when they've seen that destruction, how heartbroken they are to see their home just completely and totally gone. And that's exactly what these Jews had experienced, but it didn't stay that way. At the end of the 70 years, God places it in the heart of uh, one of the kings here. And if you want to read this full story, you can go back and read These six different minor, major prophets, this is kind of where the story is told from. But you can go in and read when God sets it in the heart of Cyrus, the Persian king. Cyrus, or the Persians, are the ones that captured the Babylonians at the end of that. And and the Bible says God gives it to the heart of Cyrus here to uh, send the Jews home and has charged him to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So these Jews, which had been in captivity... They saw some of them were young enough that they could have remembered the glory of that former temple. 
They've been in captivity 70 years, and now they're being sent home with the task of rebuilding that temple. I could imagine the, the, the joy that some of them would know just in being set free from captivity. But now they've got this monumental task in front of them to go back and rebuild that temple. I want us to understand just how much this temple was and, and the, the, the goal of this temple or the, the beauty and the splendor of it. The Bible says here in 1 Kings chapter 7 of, of the original temple, Solomon made all the vessels that pertain to the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold, whereupon the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left, before the oracle with the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold and the bowls and the snuffers and the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold and the hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house to it of the temple. I mean, they didn't spare any expense. And I know we've looked at, and you can look around in America today at our, our luxury that we have and all the fine houses that we have, and you can go to the wealthiest person in the world, and they've got some really neat things in their house, but I doubt any of them have hinges of pure gold. That's how nice this was. It depends on whose estimates and whose finances or money conversion that you look at. It's estimated that to rebuild the temple in modern times would be between 400 to, or pardon me, four, yeah, 400 billion to 700 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. These people have been in captivity. They don't own anything. They've just been released from that. And they're being sent back to Jerusalem with this grand task, rebuild the temple. I can imagine what some of them were thinking, just how? That's, I don't know how we're going to get this done. The Bible tells us some of them rejoiced at this and some of them wept. Here in the book of Ezra chapter 3, but many of the priests and Levites and chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. What's going on here is they've made it back, and they've just laid the foundation. That's all they've done. They've not really built anything yet. They've just laid the foundation. And some of these men that were older, that had seen that first house, when they see that foundation, they just, they just start crying. They say, wow. Some of them are so excited. We're going to get this done. This is awesome. We're going to look what we're doing. We're doing such a great work, such an important, important thing. And then trouble comes. The Bible tells us that some of their adversaries, some of their enemies had come to them and actually offered to help them build. And they said, no, thank you. We need to do this work ourselves. This is a work that we've got to do. And so they began to cause problems and cause issues for the children of Israel. And Ezra, the fourth chapter, the Bible says, this, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. They had this great start. They had a great desire to build this temple. And then problems came. I'm sure there was other problems than just the enemies. I'm sure issues of life started to creep in. Being busy, 
Other things started to happen in their life so that this rebuilding of the temple, this monumental task, became too much. And God then sends these prophets in amongst them. And God has a message for Israel. For who despise the day of small things. For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hands of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. You know, they began to not work. Some began to look at the efforts that were made and say, why? Why keep fighting? We'll never get there. I can't, we can't do this. And I think it's a picture that we need to look at. Because a lot of times when it comes to building the body, building myself, building my marriage, sometimes that task is very monumental. It's big. And when I'm first convicted that I need to make change, when I'm first convicted that my life, my marriage, my relationship needs to be different, I get excited. Yeah! I can't wait to get this way. I can't wait for our marriage to be better. I can't wait to quit battling this sin. I'm going to be a different person. Yes! And they're shouting and joy. And then life happens. And it gets hard. And it gets difficult. And we've made a few steps forward, but it doesn't really seem to be making a big difference in our life. And we go, why bother? Why bother? I've just made a few changes and it really is not changed. I'm telling you, the, the temple wasn't built yet. We just laid a foundation. And we give up. And God comes to that nation and He says, why are you despising these small things? Zerubbabel, he began this work and I'm going to use him to finish this work. You get back to work. You start taking care of those details. Stop despising them. Stop thinking they're not going to make a difference. And get back to doing those. You know, if I'm going to change my life, if I'm really going to overcome that sin, if my marriage is going to transform, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take daily, regular effort. And we don't have to. The good news is we don't have to go out and do all these great and grand things every day. We've just got to take care of a few details. And as you begin to stack detail upon detail upon detail, things begin to change in your life, in your marriage, in your walk with Christ for this congregation. Detail upon detail. You know, the importance of detail is something that's seen throughout the Scriptures over and over. Jesus talks about it. In Matthew chapter 13, he makes a statement here that I want us to look at and think a little bit about when he talks about this mustard seed. He says, he puts this parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown is the greatest among herbs, and it becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. 
He says, I want you to understand something about the kingdom of heaven. It's like this little bitty mustard seed that turns into a great tree. He says of the mustard seed, it's the least of all the seeds. I preached on this topic once, this passage once, and somebody gave me a bag of mustard seeds the next time they saw me. I'm holding in my hand a great forest. This isn't one tree. All of those are trees. Jesus said of this, it becomes a tree that the birds come and lodge in. That's a great forest right there. I'll tell you, I don't know if you can see from where you're sitting, but it's hard to kind of do. But those seeds are small. I'm holding four or five trees in my finger right now. That's how small they are. And he said, listen, this is the kingdom of heaven right here. It's this mustard seed. You and I need to get in our mind and understand the importance of the details, the importance of the things that we look at and say, you know, it doesn't matter because, you know, sometimes we have just the opposite attitude about these things when it comes to allowing sin and difficulty in our life. We think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter a whole lot because it's just a small compromise. It's just some insignificant thing. Really, this doesn't matter. Just this one time. Yeah, it, it does matter. This fellow here is building a wall. I take it building a house. The thing that he's using there, a type of level, there is called a plumb line or the plummet in the King James. I want you to know something about this plummet and, and its relationship to the whole building process. Number one, this thing will not build a house. You cannot just have a plummet as your only tool to build a house. I challenge you to try that. You won't get very far. But you know what else? You can't build a house properly without this thing. You have to have it. It's how the walls are going to stand up and not lean in and fall over on top of you when you're in bed one night. You've got to have this to get the weight supported right. You've got to have this to get everything square so that when you go to put the windows in, they actually fit and they open and they close. And when you put the doors in, they open. You've got to have this. It won't build a house by itself. But without it, a house won't be built. And so it's these things that I want us to have a different perspective of when we look at the growth of the body, whether that's my own personal growth, whether that's the growth of my marriage, whether it's the growth of this congregation, that what we're looking at is I'm valuing the details along the way so that we get it right. And so that as we stack detail upon detail upon detail, that great change can come. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we find this idea that when we ignore the details, we're laying for ourselves the foundation of failure. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, the Bible says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You know, God here tells you and I to, to separate or to, to sever off by boundary, keeping things different and apart from us. 
He said, you set those things aside and live a different life. And here's what you and I do that shows the importance of the details when we fail to keep this by allowing small compromises in our life. You know, it won't matter if I just look this one time. The alcoholic tells themselves, you know, one drink won't hurt. And it does. It begins to build a pattern. When we make that small compromise, we think, well, it's not that big a deal. But it begins to lay in our lives a foundation of failure. Because we don't think the details matter. We think they're unimportant. And it's no different when I ignore those details and in my growth with Christ, in my walk with Christ. Well, you know, it won't matter if I skip reading the Bible today. It's not that big. It's just one day. How much could it really hurt to not read the Word today? I know I'm convicted. I know I ought to change. And listen, I'm in the middle of a trial right now, and I'm struggling, and I'm about to give in. And, you know, I know I should pray. I know I should drop to my knees and ask the Lord for help. But it won't hurt to skip just this one prayer and try to white-knuckle it and beat this thing by myself. Surely I can do that. And we begin to skip a lot of details. And what ends up happening in our life is we set up this pattern that begins to allow failure to creep in. And one day of skipping our Bible reading turns into two. And two turns into a week. And a week turns into a month. And I haven't prayed except at meals when other people are around. And I feel distant and I feel like a fraud when I sit in the assembly because I haven't been taking care of details in my life. That happens to me personally. That happens in our relationships. That's how those problems grow from some tiny thing to a major explosion. That's what happens to a congregation that slowly dies. As people stop taking care of these details and begin to make these excuses for compromise. A couple more passages on this. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there's a way which seems right unto man, but the end of the ways thereof death. And in verse chapter 28 and verse 26, he says, He that trusts his own heart is a fool, but whoso walk wisely shall be delivered. You know, there's this idea I can keep telling myself, you know, Mike, the details don't matter. The details don't matter. But they do matter. And I need to quit trusting in my own heart and looking at what I think makes sense and the way I think things ought to be done and turn back to the Lord and go, God, what do you want me to do? And begin to focus on those details that God's asked me to do. To do them consistently, day in, day out. Take care of the details. Everybody wants to be the superstar. The hero of the story. Little boys grow up dreaming that they'll play in the NFL. And that, you know, I don't know anybody that grows up as a little boy right here, you know, four, five, six, seven years old that's dreaming of playing in the NFL. I don't know any of them that dream going, I'm going to be the starting defensive tackle. I'm going to be the fifth string linebacker. No. I'm going to be the starting quarterback of an NFL team winning the Super Bowl on the last drive. I'm going to catch that pass. We all dream of these grand things. And I'm not 
listen, that's great, that's fine, I'm not picking on any of that. But do you know that the people that actually make it there, that actually get to do that, yes, they're blessed with some athletic talent, but they build that talent by what? Details. 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 Martial artist that says, I don't fear a man that practices 100 punches. I I fear the man that practices one punch a hundred times. That one punch, that one kick that has it down perfectly. The details, the details, the details. What does God want me to do day by day to grow? I'm guessing every person in this room, myself included, can think back to other people that they used to know or know currently, that they look at their faith and have their walk with Jesus and say, I would like to have that. I want to tell you how those people got there, those 70, those 80-year-old individuals that we see on the pews in church that inspire us. They took care of the details year by year. And they grew their faith, they grew their marriage, they grew their relationship. Those churches that are growing like this one is a congregation that's taking care of details. And we need to keep doing those things to get us there. Because when we do take care of the details, we're laying the foundation for success. No, you may not see the change right away. That transformation may not happen overnight, but you're laying that foundation there. Notice what God says here to Zerub, about Zerubbabel. Before even getting to the, the despising of small things, he says this, not by, my, or not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You want to know why the small things matter to God? Because those are the things he wants to use to transform your life. You know, if it's all about the big things, who gets the glory in that? I do. Look what I did. Look how I changed it. Look how many people I taught. Look how many people I baptized. Look how great my marriage is. And it's all about me. And God said, listen, I don't need you. I need you to take care of the details. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about it this way. I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I find that to be amazing because if if you think about the process of growing crops or growing plants, something magical happens, something amazing. I know scientific and all that stuff, we can explain it, but it's an amazing thing that you take one of these seeds, wherever I put them, that you take one of these seeds and you throw it in a bunch of dirt and it dies and then produces life. God did that. That's God's design. That something like this can produce a tree. He said, I'm asking you not to build the tree. I'm not asking you to go out there and make the tree grow. I need you to go plant the seed. That's all I need you to do. Add a little water to it. Watch what I can do to that seed if you'll put it in the dirt and throw a little water on it. Watch what I can do. That's what God says. And it's not any different when it comes to the details of my marriage, of improving my relationship with Christ, of anything. It's the details that God's saying, watch what I can do by my power, by my spirit, 
Watch what I can do if you'll just take care of the details. That's what I'm asking you to do. Listen, Jesus says it this way in John chapter 15, as he's talking about us, you and I, living in him. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Think about that. I'm the vine, he says. You're the branch. All I need you to do is abide in me and watch what I can do. You stay in me and I will produce not a little bit of fruit, not dying fruit, not fruit that's no good. He said, I'll produce much fruit in your life, in your marriage, in this congregation but you've got to abide in me. You've got to take care of those details. You know, a lot of times our struggles, our trials come because ourselves. God, why is this life so difficult? Why, why, why is my marriage in such trouble? Why can't I grow? Why can't I overcome this sin? Because you won't take care of the details. It's time you quit blaming God. And started looking at yourself and saying, am I taking care of the details in my relationships? Am I taking care of the details in my walk with God? Am I taking care of the details in my role in this congregation? If we abide in God, if we plant and water as He's asked us to, then those small things over time are going to build. And God can produce much fruit. You know, that's the idea. It's not that I do it once but I consistently do it. I've shot a basketball before. I'm guessing most of us in here have. I've shot a basketball a time or two. Nobody's asking me to be on their team, though. I couldn't tell you the last time I shot a basketball because I don't go out there and practice that skill set consistently. I don't do it. I don't care enough to do it. I don't want to be a basketball player, so I'm not going to go put that effort in. But if we want growth in our life, in our marriage, we need to be able to consistently take care of the details. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Keep taking care of those details consistently. Quit worrying about the grand things. Just focus on the details and consistently doing them Day by day by day. Someone looks at me and says, I can't memorize Scripture. I can't memorize a whole chapter. Okay, memorize one verse. I can't memorize one verse. Okay, memorize one sentence of one verse. I can't memorize. Yes, you can. You can memorize one word a day. You can do something instead of sitting back going, I'm going to give up because it's too hard. I'm going to give up because I don't think it's worth it. I can begin to focus on the details. And if day by day, consistently, I add those details up, change is going to come. The Bible says here in Jesus himself, or in Luke 16, this principle is taught, where it says, He that is faithful with, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in least is also unjust in much. This is one of these verses that I think we need to kind of have 
tattooed on the backside of our hand because we like to lie to ourselves and tell ourselves, you know, if I had more opportunities, if I had more resources, if I had more of something, then I would do more. And the truth is, no, you would. If you're not doing it with what you have right now, you wouldn't do it if you had more. So if I had a million dollars, I'd give half of it to church. No, you wouldn't, because you don't give half of your income to the church today. That's the truth. We need to start taking care of the details and being faithful in that which is least. God, I'm going to be faithful in daily prayer. I'm going to be faithful in daily praying for my spouse. God, I'm going to be faithful in daily finding something I can do for this congregation. Every day. Not some great thing, but just some small thing. I'm going to find that tool, that detail that I can take care of, and I'm going to consistently, faithfully, Execute it like you've asked me to. And when we begin to do that, change begins to take place. I want to just list some things that you can do in your own personal discipleship. We're going to place marriage under this category. But things that you can begin to do daily here and really begin to make a difference in your marriage, in your life, in your walk with God. To daily engage God's Word. Every day. I'm going to engage God's Word. Every day I'm going to pray. Every day I'm going to turn off the noise. Every day I'm going to walk away from those people that I don't need to be with. I'm going to do right even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to forgive somebody. Every day, even though my spouse may not be worth it in the sense that they've earned it, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to honor my husband. Not because they've earned it, but because I'm going to take care of that detail. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to look away when I should look away. I'm not going to linger my eyes on that individual that I shouldn't be lusting over. I'm not going to allow myself to look. I'm going to bite my tongue till it bleeds to keep from saying things I ought not to say. There's a lot of things I can do that are small. I want to go back. I skipped a passage. I want us to look at this here. And I want to tie it back to what God said about Zerubbabel. Again, we're going back to this mustard seed. It, Jesus talked about these individuals here that, that they had unbelief, and he wanted to correct their unbelief. And he said to them, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth out not, but not by fasting and prayer. He had these disciples that had gone out to try to cast out demons. They couldn't do it, and they brought it back to him going, hey, what's going on? And he said, because of your unbelief, you can't do this. And he says, listen, here's, here's the problem. If you just had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could move all these mountains out of your way. I love this passage. I like to explain to people why West Texas is so flat. We moved all the mountains out of our way. I think this is amazing. That God said, that little faith can move them out. He told a Zerubbabel, he, after he said, by my might, by my power, by my spirit, you're going to get rid of these mountains and you're going to make the way plain. So what's the mountain in your life that needs to be moved? What sin are you battling? 
What bad habit have you let into your marriage relationship that's turned into a mountain that you think we can't get rid of? Faith is a mustard seed by beginning to do these kinds of things right here daily. That faith and executing the details every day will transform your walk with Christ, will transform your marriage. Notice this not just true for individuals, but collectively as us as a congregation. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, I entreat thee also, my true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Paul takes time here in his writing to talk about these women that helped him. You know, when we talk about church work, whatever these women did, we don't know what it was. But I know this much. Because these women helped Paul, more people got to hear the gospel. More people's lives were strengthened, were renewed. I don't know what they did, but I know it helped the work. And I know you and I, as a congregation, can find details to take care of daily to cause this congregation to be built. We can make a call, send a text, send a card. We can all get here five minutes early to encourage one another. We can all stick around maybe five minutes later to lift somebody up and pray with somebody. We can all speak to different people that we don't typically speak. I can sit somewhere different so that the seat, I don't see the same people every Sunday and Wednesday, but I move around so that I'm spending time with different people in the congregation. I can find a physical need that somebody has and I can help with it. I can fully buy in and participate and give my all to the worship service. I can run around this town and instead of running this church down, I can brag to the world about how great South Canadian Valley Church of Christ is. I can open up my home, my life, invite you in and invite people to be part of that fellowship and invite people to come experience these things. And you never have to get up here and preach a sermon. You never have to be the one that opens up the doors, turns on all the lights, gets all our microphones ready, prepares the communion table. You never have to be the one that sits down and says, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Would you turn in your Bible to None of that's up there. But I want to tell you, if we don't do these things, I don't care how great our teachers are, we're doomed to fail eventually. We need to take care of the details as a congregation to build this place. I need to take care of the details in my life to grow my relationship with Jesus Christ. My wife and I need to take care of the details to move that mountain out of our relationship that's been causing us problems. By the power of Jesus Christ, by His might, by His Spirit, we can be transformed, we can be changed. So the question really just kind of comes down to this for you and I today. Do you value or despise the small things? Israel despised them, and the work was left undone. You and I can value them and watch the power of God transform lives, our own lives. I don't know what you're seeing today in your heart. Maybe there's some mountains that you've been too afraid to attack because you think they're too big. Maybe you're afraid to take that first step and you want some comfort, some strength, 
some encouragement. Maybe that first step is to acknowledge that there's mountains in your life, that there's sin problems in your life that aren't right. Maybe you're at the point where that next step is to ask for help. As a congregation, when we sing an invitation song, our purpose isn't to mock, to belittle, to make someone feel bad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't offer an invitation song if that's what it was. I believe the purpose an invitation song serves is if you're sitting there this morning and you're convicted, convinced that change needs to be made, that your heart is burning within you, crying out, saying, I want something better. We offer this invitation because we believe in the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. There's nothing I can do for you. We have some wonderful elders, godly elders. They can't help you take sin away. But as shepherds, they can lead you to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his word, through his counsel, our shepherd can help strengthen you and help you turn in God's word to the solution to the problems you're facing and begin to give you hope and comfort and encouragement. And we as a congregation want to stand behind our leadership when they do that. If your heart is burning in you this morning saying, I want change. I'm tired of what I've got. I'm sick of looking at this mountain. Take that step. It's just a small detail. One step out into the aisle. And then the next step down. And these elders will be waiting for you. They'll come greet you. And they'll help take your need, your spiritual need to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't sit there and say it won't make a difference. If your heart is burning inside of you saying, I need to make a change. Don't despise what can happen when you take a step into the aisle and surrender yourself to these elders to help shepherd you to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to take advantage of that, we ask that you come and have a seat on these front pews while we stand now to sing this song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com